Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. There is a, a, a bit of entitlement that may really start to creep into our thinking. Hey, listen, if I work hard for God and I work with excellence, then, you know, that's kind of the formula for success. And we start to think that maybe I'm entitled now to promotions and advancements and, 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 and things will go well for me because I do it right. I'm doing it God's way. I just want to say this. It is not a formulaic guarantee for success. If you work hard, most people agree you should be rewarded. But not everyone who works hard gets rich. In fact, many hardworking people live paycheck to paycheck. So are they doing something wrong? Well, today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares explains that hard work is not a magic formula for success, but there are still good biblical reasons why Christians should work diligently, excellently, and humbly. I'm Dave Drewy. And now here's Pastor Mike with part two of a message called Strategic Rest and a Godly Work Ethic. Now in the olden days, uh, if you were gonna take a job, you would learn about your vocation through the practical coaching of your parents because most kids took on the family business and moved it into the next generation. And, and, and that was a, a good thing. It's unfortunate that didn't happen too much anymore because that's when parents got involved in imparting more than just technical proficiency on the job. They, good parents at least, they cared about not only that you could do the job, but that you could do the job well. I mean, they cared about Christian parents that you would be godly and that you would, you would really reflect good, godly Christian virtues on your job. And, and that was important. But most of us don't have that advantage. And with America really leading in the deterioration of the family, there's not a whole lot of parental wisdom being handed down to kids anyway. And that makes it hard. And so it's time for us to recover some of this parental wisdom, which is the setting of the book of Proverbs, of what it is to work on our jobs the way God calls us to. And so let us create this morning a biblical work ethic, distinctively from the book of Proverbs. So if you can find that, and I know you can, because it's a bit next door neighbor, the book of Psalms is so big. So turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Proverbs, and let us start to assemble in our thinking a Christian work ethic, which we cannot afford to ignore, because it is the thing that is just so primary in our lives that we've got to learn to do it in a biblical manner. And let's start with the anchor of a Christian work ethic, which we can find in Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 says, Go to the ant. Oh, sluggard. <laughs> it's not much for diplomacy here. I mean, uh, sluggard, what's that all about? Well, that, that's one of the favorite words in Proverbs for someone who is, here's how it's put elsewhere in Proverbs, slack in their work. They're not quite as enthusiastic. They're not quite as, as diligent in their work as they should be. Consider her ways and, and be wise. Without any chief or officer or ruler, she, that is the ant, prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in harvest. They're working, they're busy, they don't have any little ants following around the other ants with a whip saying, keep, get to work. I mean, these ants are, they're industrious, they're busy. I mean, that's what the ant's all about. Number one on your outline, let's just, just, just inscribe on our outlines the anchor of a biblical work ethic. It is number one, that we work hard. We work hard. We're busy, we're industrious, we're self-starters. 
So you're never going to do what God wants you to do, what he's so apt to reward people for doing, if you are in any way half-hearted, lethargic, or lazy in your work. There's no place for it. Hard work, it is the anchor and the central tenet of a Christian work ethic. And we all need to redouble our commitment to whatever it is that we do, working hard. But you can say, well, a lot of people do that. There's a lot of people committed to working hard. Well, number two on your outline, this is what makes our work ethic distinctively theistic. The reason it is a Christian work ethic is found in passages like chapter 16, verse number three. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Commit my work. I'm going to turn my work over to the Lord. I'm going to move my my thinking about work into the, the arena of God. Number two, a Christian work ethic is about working for God, no matter who you work for. Even if you think you work for yourself and you're self-employed, whether your boss is a jerk, it doesn't matter. The Bible says when Christians work, their mind should be focused on the Lord. I'm working for God. I'm not working for myself. I'm working for God. I'm not working for this company. I'm working for God. That is not to say I don't care what they say. As a matter of fact, as we'll see later, that means I care deeply about what the earthly authorities say. But when it comes to my purpose for work, it is to serve God. Commit your work to the Lord. Number three, because we commit our work to the Lord, here's what happens. We do our work differently. Write it down, then we'll look at a couple of passages. Number three, we need to work excellently. That doesn't roll off your tongue very well, but we need to work excellently. Why? Because we're not working for men, we're not working for myself, we're working for God. And because of that, it changes the way in which I work. Turn to Proverbs 8, chapter 8. It says in verse 22, The Lord possessed me, that is wisdom, at the beginning of, good words to underline, His work. God is a worker. That's how he was known. I know he could have spoken the words and the whole universe could have been created in in, in six milliseconds, but instead he takes six days and then takes rest as though he needs to rest, right? You want to be godly and work for God? God gets glory when we work like God. How does God work? With excellence. Michelangelo, good example of this. He was known as an excellent artist, right? When he was hanging from the hammock suspended from the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, you've been there, you know there are columns in the room, and there are columns that, depending on where you're standing, in some places, you can't even see the ceiling behind the columns. And one day when he was hanging there and his workers were working with him, onlookers came in and they saw Michelangelo working laboriously behind a a column, and they called him and said, hey, Michelangelo, why are you doing that? Why are you spending so much time there? No one can see it. And Michelangelo's response was two words, God can, see? The reason Michelangelo was distinguished in his work in part was that he knew he was working for God, and if he was working for God, then the standard of excellence went way up. It went through the roof. That was the same for music that was enduring in the classical period, the Renaissance period. Music came out of that where people made compositions for the glory of God, not for their sales records, not for their popularity, not for their fame. And in so doing, they left behind bodies of work, some that have yet to be rivaled because people did things for the glory of God with a level of excellence that came out of their singular focus, as Oz Guinness would put it, working for an audience of one. Who do you work for? That's what it needs to be. 
It's like the British guys in the quarry, three of them breaking rocks out there in the quarry. Guys come up, what are you doing? The first one irritably responds, I'm cracking rocks in half. Can't you see? On the next guy, well, what are you doing? He's a little bit happier. He's chipper. And he says, well, I'm making 500 pounds a week. So he's happy. The third guy looks up, sticks his chest out, and he says, I'm making stones for a building that will be built to the glory of God. See, if you can get past the drudgery of work, past the I'm doing it to pay my mortgage, to the place where you're doing your work for the glory of God, I guarantee you, you're going to break those rocks in a whole different way. And here's the good thing, certainly in a down economy (laughs) with you know, uh, the jobless uh, unemployment rate high. Good for us to recognize if you're a Christian, you should be known as a hard worker. They may not ever understand and you may rarely articulate that you work for God. But one thing they're going to see is that you work with excellence. Because if I aim at pleasing God in my work, guess what? I'm going to pick up most people along the way that'll think, well, that wasn't half bad. Why? Because I'm not really even doing it for you. My standard is way higher than you. Here's one more proverb before we leave this point. How about 22:29? Proverbs 22:29. If you aim at the king of kings, there'll be some kings that may take notice, right? The lords of the earth may be interested when you're doing your work for the lord of the universe. Hard not to advance. This is not a, you know, get rich, uh, get promoted sermon, but I am telling you, would you work for God? Your your work will be different when God is the client, when God is the customer, when God is the consumer. Look at 22:29. Do you see a man skillful in his work? There's another good word for it. He really does his job well. He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. He can do his work with the audience of people that are important that are going to take note of that. Well, I'll tell you what, there's a little bit of a double entendre here, is there not? If you're doing your work for the king, then you'll do your work before kings. I mean, they'll start to notice We don't do it for that. We do it for God. As we often say around here, and and my team here probably gets tired of me saying it, but there are definite distinctions between organizations that do things in an acceptable manner or do things in in an excellent manner. Those are two entirely different kinds of organizations. Can you do it instead of the honor and legacy of your company or the almighty dollar or just to make, make do? Can you do it for God and see what happens to your work ethic? It'll change. It will change. We work hard. We work for God. And because we work for God, we work with excellence. Number four, I just want to say this because so often as you turn to chapter 21, there is a a, a bit of entitlement that may really start to creep into our thinking. Hey, listen, if I work hard for God and I work with excellence, then, you know, that's kind of the formula for success. And we start to think that maybe I'm entitled now to promotions and advancements and, 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 and things will go well for me because I do it right. I'm doing it God's way. I just want to say this. It is not a formulaic guarantee for success. Even though the Proverbs put these out as Proverbs and, 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 and here's how it usually works. Good work is rewarded and slack work is not. Uh, I'm not trying to make us arrogant workers because we do better. Because I know this about God. Look down to verse number 30, 21, 30 and 31. You're in chapter 21, 21, verse 30. No wisdom and no understanding and no counsel can avail against the Lord. Do you see that there? God is going to get his thing done in the world his way. You can't talk him out of it. He's got his plan. He's a sovereign God. Verse 31. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, and you may do a great job getting that horse ready for battle. 
but, and this is an important conjunction, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Please note this, number four, we need to work humbly because you and I are not sitting around trying to say, hey, we just plug in the formula and hey, our business will do great. You don't know that. You don't, you don't know that if you really bring a Christian work ethic to your company that you're not going to get laid off. You might. God is sovereign. God does things beyond our comprehension. I'm just saying we have a Christian work ethic that is then intertwined with prayer and reliance and humility. And we pray knowing that really it's about God, whether he brings the increase or not. And so I'm not an arrogant worker. I want to be a humble worker. I would much rather in my thinking and in my mind and the company I work for to be with a group of people that know that our success is reliant on God, not just our work, not just our effort. It's not just about that. Matter of fact, I can make the thing ready for, for success, but God brings the increase. Cotton Mather, you know that name? One of the great writers of the Puritan era, he, he said this about work. He says, in our occupations, we cast the nets, right? And in light of this conversation, we're supposed to do it as well as we can, but it is God who brings into our nets all that comes in, right? And that's true. You can be the best salesman in the world. You have the best product. You have the highest standards of quality and excellence. And maybe still they won't be buying and you won't be promoted and the sales won't go into the black. I'm just telling you that happens. And we trust God through it thick and thin because we know God is a sovereign God. Victory belongs to the Lord. You fully rely on God for your work. Prayer is that intertwined in your thinking. It's not just about hard work. It's about humble work. Number five. And with that in mind, perhaps I want to put this one next in part because it is required for this one. Turn to chapter 24. Chapter 24. This could be a whole series of sermons on this particular topic. But here in chapter 24, there is something about my attitude that certainly applies at work that is all throughout the book of Proverbs that cannot be relinquished. And in my mind, if there's one thing that is missing in our modern society, it is certainly this. Particularly in the American mindset in the American workforce, we don't, I mean, we're into all of this co and collaborative and all this stuff. We want flatline egalitarianism everywhere. And all I'm telling you, here's the bottom line. Most of your companies, most of your workplaces, most of the offices still have somebody that you report to. There are still levels of authority there. And when it comes to a Christian work ethic, let me give you some good you know, advice that a good parent would give to his child. We, we dare not lose what God requires in our workplaces and in any authority that we give a great deal of profound and sincere respect to those in positions of authority. I put it this way, number five, work respectfully. We not only work humbly, we work respectfully. And in our places of business, we have a, a respect for those in positions of authority. Why? Because we know God is sovereign. And those people are there because God put them there, even the bad and flunky managers and bosses that you have to put up with. That's how God operates. He gives people certain situations, sometimes to test them, sometimes to refine them, and sometimes just because that's what those companies deserve. But the bottom line is he's putting people in places of positions of authority. And if they're over you in your workplace, you better give them respect. Verse 21 you're in chapter 24. Look at this. My son, fear the Lord. And we know that part. The whole book of Proverbs is predicated on that. We got to fear the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. Note the next three words, underline them. And the king. Well, I don't really like the king right now. I, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. 
And let's bring it into your workplace. The authority over you, the human delegated authority over you in your work, you are to fear them. That's a grave word of respect, right? And do not join with those who do otherwise. Careful who you hang out with at work. Seriously. Don't join in with those who do otherwise. For the disaster, verse 22, for disaster will arise suddenly from them. You never know. And who knows the ruin that will come from them both? You don't know. God put them in a position of authority, and you are to respect them. <laughs> I mean, the best preparation, I guess, for working under authority is, is being born in a family uh, with an older brother. Was that you? When my brother turned 13, I was eight and a half. I mean, that's the worst possible combination right there. Right? And it was very challenging when mom and dad would leave for the day and look at me and say, Michael, obey your brother, right? as he stuck his tongue out at us, right? At me, he wouldn't do that to my mom and dad. And I hated that. Now I gotta obey my flunky brother, are you kidding me? See, here's something I didn't understand at eight that I understand much better later in life. And that is this, that in God's providence, in the sovereignty of God, he chose to have my flunky brother born four and a half years older and earlier than me. And that meant when mom and dad left on some kind of thing that they were doing, that means he was going to be in charge and I had to respond to him. That was God's decision. That was God's choice. And because that was God's choice, my responsibility was to comply with delegated authority. Why? Because I worried about ultimate authority. And in that case, as a kid, as an eight-year-old, it was my parents. If I'm not going to get in trouble with my parents, I'd better submit to my flunky brother and stop calling him flunky. Right? <laughs> I mean, right? Are you making the connection here with your flunky bosses and managers? Stop it. Let's eradicate that kind of thinking. As a matter of fact, one more proverb here. Chapter 22, verse 10. Talk about you not joining in with those that don't respect leadership. How about this one? Verse 10. Drive out a scoffer. You know what I'm talking about. The guy who mocks and scoffs. Always talking about the boss behind his back. Drive out a scoffer and strife will go out and quarreling and abuse will cease. Important who you hang out with. Verse 11, he who loves purity of heart, now here's a phrase to underline, and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. See, it doesn't take much. I've been the lowest ranking person on staff, and I've been the senior pastor, and I can tell you from both perspectives, it doesn't take much of graciousness, kindness, to see some reciprocity in the workplace. Matter of fact, let me put it even stronger for you. One more passage, 27, 18. Proverbs 27, 18. And for those of you, I know you got this American autonomy and this individual rugged thing. It's welling up inside of you. Push it back, bat it back, okay? We think it's kissing up. It's flattery. Down to kiss his butt. I don't want to do that. Listen, it's about sincere respect in God's providence for the people that God has put in positions of authority over your life. That's what it is. And if, you want, if you're smart about it, I mean, look at the, look at the golden rule that is, that is built into this verse. 27, 18, whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruit. Duh, right? I mean, if you take care of it and you water it and you make sure it's cultivated and you care for it, great, you'll eat its fruit and that'll be great. Verse 18, second half, and he who guards his master will be honored. Are you working respectfully? I mean, really, are you taking care of the boss? 
Are you recognizing that just because everyone says, you know, that's empty flattery, when it's sincere respect for the providence of God and the people he's placed in positions of leadership over your life, you are pleasing God, you're glorifying God, and really you're doing good for yourself because whoever guards his master will be honored. In a time of such diminishing courtesy and respect, when honor and deference and grace has been replaced with coarseness and rudeness and disrespect and mockery and, and, and as it said in, in 22.10, scoffers, Time for us as Christians to return to a Christian work ethic that has respect for, for leaders, even if you think you could do a better job. Work respectfully. Number six, I know some of you so far in this message, you know, some of you I hope have been encouraged because you think I'm, I'm doing that. That's how I, that's how I work and, and I'm distinguished in my work because I, I feel like I, I, I am working hard. I'm working for God and I'm working with humility and I'm working with excellence and all that. And, and that's great. And I want to encourage you, as the apostles would say, to excel still more. Go for it. Keep going. There are some I hope that you've had a little sting of conviction to this point, you know. I mean, all those people that say, I'd never hire a Christian. I hope you're recognizing that just being a child of the king does not give you a license to slack at work. We should be the best workers there with the highest standards, and maybe God is, is prompting you forward. That's great. But I know there are some here, and it's unfortunate, that you just love this message because it's pro-work, right? <laughs> and you got this weird, you know, twisted, slavish, and, you know, you just can't, you want, you can't work is everything to you. And so, as a matter of fact, your wife is moaning. She's already texting me about, can you stop with the work thing? We never see the guy, you know? We need him at home. A Christian work ethic is not about you being an idolater of the office. Let me put it that way. God has called you not only to work in the marketplace, but to expend the same kind of diligence and effort and work at home. Number six, a Christian work ethic is about you working at home. And so let me say that. Not just to appease your wife that never sees you, but to tell you if it's all about being articulate and careful and thoughtful and strategic at the office, but at home it's, hey, what's for dinner and I'm putting my feet up and that's all your life consists of at home, then you're not exercising a Christian work ethic. A Christian work ethic is about coming to your home with the same kind of concern, the same kind of strategy, the same kind of ethic and saying, I, I, I want to make home all that it should be. You're listening to Focal Point and a message titled Strategic Rest and a Godly Work Ethic. It's part of a practical series called Wisdom from Proverbs. And you can listen to the entire series anytime at focalpointradio.org and on the Focal Point app. This daily Bible teaching program is heard by men and women from all walks of life and from all over the world. We love that so many people are exploring the depths of Scripture with us each day. But we could never have that kind of impact for the gospel without donations from our faithful listeners. So if you benefited from Pastor Mike's hard-hitting Bible teaching, will you reach out with a special year-end donation today? To express our gratitude, we'll send you a fascinating resource called The Ultimate Infographic Guide to the Bible. This resource delivers historical and contextual insights so you can better understand Scripture. There are fascinating charts, graphics, and timelines to enrich your reading experience by highlighting the key events found in each book of the Bible. To make a special year-end gift and request the ultimate infographic guide to the Bible, go to focalpointradio.org or call us at 888-320-5885. That's 888-320-5885. 
Or if you prefer, you can send your donation by mail. Our address is Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. Well, it's almost Christmas, so we're offering a free gift to our listeners who contact Focal Point for the first time. It's a helpful booklet about how Christmas impacts the whole world called From Creation to Bethlehem, and it's published by the well-respected apologetics ministry Answers in Genesis. You know, Christmas is becoming more and more secular, but this easy-to-read booklet clearly reveals the surprising connection between Christmas and the creation of the world. So contact us today and let us know you're listening at focalpointradio.org. And when you do, we'll send you a free gift. Well, I'm your host, Dave Drewy, inviting you to join us again tomorrow for the conclusion of Pastor Mike's message titled, Strategic Rest and a Godly Work Ethic. There's more to explore Thursday on Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. You know, we live in a culture where every point of view demands affirmation. It'd be easy to tell people what they want to hear. But we must teach the Bible accurately, unapologetically, and without compromising and without editing it. God's Word is truth. If you want to send me a question, I encourage you to get in touch with us at focalpointradio.org. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.